0: All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 55 of Going Live with Good Soil. Matt and I are here, as usual, uh, to talk about macro markets, um, Tesla, anything Elon, Tesla related. Now it's more Twitter, too. We talk about a lot and our other stocks we follow, Rocket Lab, Lemonade, Roblox and q and at the end the last half. So we typically start with the macro market. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, the CPI print last week was the big story. Nine point one percent. I think expectations was like what eight eight point eight percent or something. I think, and um, you know, it's a it was a big upside hit. I mean, the White House, like we said last, we speculated last Tuesday, they seem to like get some inside info or something to kind of you know float it out there. I, you know, I don't know if they really have inside info or just they're just preparing for the worst. But if they do have inside info, that's that's really uh, a little strange, a little worrying to me because I'm sure there's people that you know it just it's not good to have information before the public on when it comes to investing in markets and such uh so but the cpi print -9.1% you have any thoughts on that Matt? i mean it was not negative I mean, 9 -9.9 would have been nice <laughs> it's a little deflationary I, i'm reading my notes here yeah i'm reading it literally it's a so a 9.1 negative <laughs> yeah not deflation it's inflation so i mean that's pretty high do you think that's the highest we'll see or do you think it's going to go higher potentially
1: so i I suspect that that's that's probably our peak. Um, the, the thing to keep in mind with with inflation is that it's it's always a lagging indicator. Um, so you, we saw this, you know, huge commodity price spike in the in the beginning of the year. Uh, but in the last probably two months or so, you know the the prices for you know oil, copper, you know, steel, everything pretty much have, have started to decline. Now it's not back to like you know pre-COVID levels by any stretch, um, but you know it, it at least seems like we we've dipped pretty significantly below where the peak had been. So that takes a while to make its way through like the whole manufacturing process and um, you know wherever those those commodity commodities end up on their way to ultimately consumers. That that kind of process takes some time so um i think it kind of stands to reason that 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 um eventually that uh, those prices will come down following the commodity price decreases um but we'll see i mean i was certainly surprised this time around i thought it'd be i i I sort of thought it would be a surprise on the the downside and said it was a surprise on the upside so you know i i almost don't trust my track record with uh with this stuff too much but um looking at everything together it's like i don't i don't see how CPI can continue increasing at, you know, like eight, 9% for the next several months, just because it's already at this hugely elevated level. Consumers are clamping down You know we've got interest rates hikes hiked already. So you, you're starting to see that impact on like mortgage rates and how much people can afford for housing. And um, to me, it just seems like there's, you know, there can't, there, there doesn't seem to be a source of kind of continued uh, high inflation. But I'm curious, what do you think?
0: Is this a local peak or uh, wait and yeah. see? I keep thinking it's a local peak every month, but it is a lagging indicator. We all know the question is how much of a lagging indicator is it? Right. I mean, I think, I think I'm pretty confident in saying like the actual peak of like inflationary pressures has already happened, but in terms of like a lagging indicator um, you know, is it three months lagging, just one month lagging or six months lagging? It just feels like it's kind of lagging more than one month. And, and uh, yeah. for that reason, I'm not sure if the next month will be similarly high. Maybe it's 92 or 9.3% or maybe it's 9.0%. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But I mean, the initial inflation ticks came in kind of as a lagging, in, in, uh, lagging indicator. I remember for months before inflation, back when inflation was being called transitory by the Fed and such, we're all like oh it's transitory it's only a few percent it's transitory but everyone a lot of people a lot of hawks were uh you know screaming like no inflation's here it's bad and um they were right right but the lagging indicator of what the fed is looking at showed that later on you know and and, and then's when they moved uh with interest rates more aggressively so now we're going we're the pendulum's swinging back i feel like i think the pendulum's certainly swinging back in terms of inflation coming back to you know, normal, um, how long it takes for it to swing back to there. I'm not sure, but I think it's swinging back the momentum of that. So, um, the indicators here, this lagging indicator that we all focus on, I feeling it's a few months of a lag. So next month might be a little bit lower, but it could be a little higher. I'm just uncertain.
1: So so, then what do you think that the Fed does next? I mean, right right when, um, you know, the print came out, the interest rate swaps were indicating a high probability of a 100 basis point uh, rate hike at the next uh, Fed meeting, uh, which, you know, everyone was basically convinced that it was going to be 75 basis points. Then, so the, they came out, I think, on Friday and said, oh, the market might have reacted a little prematurely. So um, r- right now they seem to be pricing in 75 basis points. Is that where you, you think we land through all this mess?
0: I think so. I think they do the the conservative thing in their mind is seventy five basis points again until they get more information. Um, yeah, but the market did react in a way like suddenly the the Fed fund futures were pricing in like it with eighty percent probability like a hundred basis point uh, hike, right? Hey, you know, rate hike, and then like you said, um, they toned down. You know, I think Bullard or some of the Fed. Uh, members came out that like a day or two later, saying like, "Yeah, seventy-five is the mark or something." Until we get more information, I don't know. They're just set reset expectations, and they're they're doing it. It seems like they're they're intentionally trying to um, telegraph what they're going to do, you know, more clearly. Yeah. So because the markets are jittery, you know, and like we had uh, Mister Pederfee on uh, in his interview, and and he mentioned. The, you know, well, the founder ago, of Interactive
1: and, Brokers, for those who are not yeah. familiar with him, Emmett's old boss, yeah, that, super interesting guy.
0: Yes, yeah. He was on one of our recorded interviews a month or two months ago. And he mentioned that he thinks that you know, if the Fed does suddenly, you know, if everyone's expecting 50 basis points and the Fed suddenly does a hundred basis points, the market could really like drop five or ten percent real fast. Like it could be a real volatile situation. So I think the Fed is very keen and aware of this kind of jitteriness in the markets right now and when it comes to macro market, you know, different, you know, updates or interest rate changes. And, you know, if they don't keep everyone kind of tuned in on what they're planning to do, then it just creates a lot of extra volatility in the markets. And it just, it makes them look bad. If if the markets are unnecessarily getting volatile when they could have prevented the volatility, it seems like. So I think yeah. they're telegraphing 75 basis points. I'm, I'm like 90% sure, unless some new data comes out, I'm, I'm 90% sure that's where it'll be. Yeah,
1: no, it, that that makes sense to me. Um, so I'm I'm seeing jumping around a little bit, but I'm seeing in the comments uh, from Martin Muldoon that the judge just allowed Twitter to expedite the case. Uh, wow! So it sounds like we're going to have that uh, that case coming in September. That trial is going to start in September. So um, wow,
0: that's big. Deal. A that's a big deal. Miss
1: for Elon, but I think honestly, from my perspective as a Tesla shareholder, I kind of want this whole episode to be done, you know, one way or another, sooner rather mm. than later. So I'm personally not too upset about that.
0: No, I'm not too upset. I'm torn, you know, I want, Elon has his reasons and I believe, you know, he's got the most information of any of us on this situation. Yeah. We can all only speculate what's going on for like, based on what we see him say or Twitter say, but there's much more behind the scenes. We don't even know or much more. And he's just also the smartest person out there. So whatever the information, even if we all had an equal information, you know, then he would probably be able to interpret it much better than any of us can. So, you know, I, I I'm torn because I, you know, he's clearly wants to take things this way and it's being rejected by the, the, the judge, you know? So, um, but on the other hand, like you said, Matt, uh, I think in terms of uh, certainty or perceived stability with Tesla stock, you know, I think uh, it's, it improves the situation there. So um, yeah, I'm torn, but um, yeah, we'll see what happens, I guess uh, pretty soon, September. Yeah. It's, it'll be interesting this, this hearing
1: yeah yeah that'll be here before we know it so yeah i mean it's just emotion i mean the the outcome of the trial is obviously much more important than just whether it's an expedited trial or not so um well uh, i guess just stay tuned but should be uh yeah that should be an interesting one i want to get out the popcorn for that i'm sure that'll be uh uh just uh, can you imagine like if parag gets up on on there and like (laughs) drilling that he would go like i i don't know how it's going to you know play out yeah i just imagine there's going to be so much Uh, interesting kind of fodder that comes out of that.
0: Yeah. Farzad has a good comment wondering if they'll settle before September. Yeah. I mean, that's very possible. I mean, what I don't know. We have to talk to the law experts, but most of these cases I think typically settle like statistically, but uh, with Elon in there, that's a wild card. You don't know. He's very principled. (laughs) You don't know what, you know, what, what cards he's playing, what's, you know, he's doing a different game. He's doing things differently than most people. So, yeah, yeah but, you know, you- and,
1: and I've heard so many legal experts chime in on this and like all over the board. The responses are like, oh, like the Delaware, uh, you know, judge that who was appointed to this really has a track record of supporting, uh, you know, mm-hmm. pre-existing merger agreements. So, you know, I think as a legal expert that, you know, they're, she's going to rule in, in favor of, uh, of Twitter. And then I've like seen others that like have this middle ground um, that, you know, like there's the most likely outcome is a settlement, maybe go for that, like $1 billion market, something like that, because Twitter's not going to want to have, you know, all this discovery of the bot issues. And then I've seen other people on like the far end of the spectrum saying like, oh, no, no, like, you know, uh, Elon's got a, like a pretty solid case here. Uh, like Jason Calacanis posted that, um, that, that note about um, the issue with, with the bots that was laid out by uh, Tesla's legal team. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, Twitter's screwed. Um, so like, I, I don't like I'm seeing so many, you know, quote unquote experts are just like, it's like a shotgun fire with just like spraying the the wide variety of, of different outcomes out there. It's very, yeah, I, yeah, I feel like I don't have an good analogy good of, of, of how this, yeah. you know, is likely to settle because I'm hearing so many conflicting kind of reports.
0: That's a good metaphor, the shotgun fire. Yeah. It's like, we don't know really, and it's strange that it all comes down to this one person, the one judge, you know, like, I guess there could be appeals and it gets pushed up further up to like Supreme courts or something. I, you know, I'm not sure I'm not a legal expert, but I asked on, I think I asked Warren Redlick and some other lawyers chimed in. I was like, is it possible this could ever go to a jury of peers? And they said, no, this particular case. And I would feel more comfortable if something like this could go into a jury of peers, you know, versus like a single individual deciding, you know, um, because it could just be some hardline judge that's, pissed off at Elon's antics and says like, no, Elon, you're going to, you're going to take your medicine here or something. You know, that's my guess. And, or maybe the judges could be like on Elon's side and be like, you know, Elon's one of our greatest entrepreneurs, whatever he wants to do, we should let him do, you know, I just feel, I feel like, um, I don't know, in terms of the justice system itself, I, I would feel more comfortable in the front in, with a jury of peers versus a, just a judge individual deciding the outcome. I don't know. What yeah. Do think, I, I think
1: with, with super technical issues like this, it, it's, it's harder to to have a jury of peers because it like the, the nuances of the, you know, of the, you know, Delaware, like uh, governing laws on like merger agreements and their enforceability. It's,
0: I suppose you know, to, you're right. Yeah.
1: To me, that's a little bit more technical than like, do you think this guy murdered that person or not? You know, that, that's like, yeah, it's a little, you have more to like related. really,
0: You have to spend a lot of time educating the jury on all the laws before you could really get them to consider. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So
1: I, I did, um, I I did, I worked uh, when I was doing energy, I wasn't involved in like a federal filing with the, you know, federal energy regulatory commission. And I had to go to like DC to this, to this administrative law judge to like make the case for why we deserved like a higher amount of reactive power compensation. So it was like a super technical thing. And it was all like, Um, the, the average person would have no idea what reactive power is, let alone like the (laughs) most appropriate methodology for, you know, estimating like a a prudent compensation. So my, my sense is it's something similar here where it's like, you you kind of want people who at least understand, you know, the, the plain language. Um, so you're not explaining everything, spending like a month, just getting people up to speed on, you know, all the different bits of it. So I don't know, that's my perception.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Twitter's gone up like almost a, you know, a dollar fifth. No, it's gone up. Uh, yeah, like a dollar 50 or, or, or more. No, it's about a dollar, I think, since this news broke. So it looks like 38.75 and that's at 39.81. So, yeah, so it's gone up, you know, three or four percent since this news book. So the market's viewing it as very positive for Twitter, obviously. So, yeah,
1: it looks like Tesla pumped yeah. a little bit, but it was like a couple bucks. So it's hard to even say
0: if that's yeah. related to that decision or not. Yeah. I mean, the, the macro market NASDAQ is up 2% or more today, you know, 2.4%. Tesla is, you know, flat on the day. What I mean, what's going on? Is it just, I have a feeling it's just jitters before the earnings report tomorrow. You know, I think there's a lot of, People nervous before earnings reports and like the day or two before earnings reports, the stock has always done kind of mysterious movements like that are not correlated (laughs) so much to the market. You know, sometimes it'll be up big when the market's like flat or sometimes it'll be down big when the market's flat. So that's what my feeling is on Tesla today. It's not up with the market.
1: It was a similar situation on Friday too. I think
0: Friday markets
1: were up like roughly two percent, and then um, you know Tesla was. You know normally it'd be like a double double that with their beta two, but said it was up like half a percent or something like that on Friday. So uh,
0: yeah, it's just a weird. I, th- yeah. I think
1: it's all kind of pending tomorrow's earnings report. So we'll, we'll see what happens there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, before we talk about the earnings report tomorrow a little bit, full self driving beta ten point thirteen rolling out this week. I'm excited. This is like the first big, I think this is the first update I'm going to get on my FSD beta car since I, I got the FSD beta software. So I'm super excited to kind of see a change in the, the behavior, you know, of the car when I'm driving it with this new software update. I mean, your, your experiences, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad, right? When you get the software updates.
1: Yeah. So the, the, this last update that I got, which is presumably the the same version that, that you have right now was definitely a step backward for me. Um, so mm. I, I kind of felt like I had this much better version, you know, two versions or I guess last version, um, and then they made some changes that I'm sure optimized for other areas or whatever. But it kind of um, just has been a much worse driving experience for me. And so, um, yeah, this next one I'm, I'm hoping will be, you know, it, it could even leapfrog the, the one that I was on before. So it's always I mean, the, mm. the general trend is always that it gets better over time. So. Um, yeah. And even in the release notes there they said that they were going to address some of the specific issues that I've been having lately. So, definitely looking forward to, to getting that update.
0: Yeah, I mean I was thinking about it and I like uh, I really I almost don't want it to be upgraded cuz I really like my FSD beta the way it is. <laughs> I'm worried that it's going to like do things that I'm like not comfortable with. Like I like the way it is now. Like I use it Almost all the time, if I'm not in a hurry, the only time I don't use it is if I'm in a hurry like, I'm counting the minutes of where I have to be somewhere and I'm, like, going to just be there just barely in time, then I just drive it myself because I want to be in control of, like, the lane changes and maximize my speed to get to from place to place, even though I'm not speeding too much on, like, the speed limit signs or whatever. I just want to, like you know, accelerate fast off the stop signs to get in front of this car or that car, you know, but that's only once yeah. in a while. Like, you know, it's probably 20% of my drives or something like that. But the vast majority of my drives, I'm not in like some super rush and I love using the FSD beta and I'm watching it, but it's just much more relaxing to let it drive and do everything for me. And it's still, I still marvel at some of these like left turns or like this new unprotected left turn that the Chuck Cook style that <laughs> is mentioned in the release notes. That's so cool that they put that in the that release was notes of awesome. like Chuck Cook yeah. style in, in quotes. So they're clearly, you know, I think the testers like Chuck Cook and the others are are making a big de- are helping a lot. You know, it's showing, you know, that's proof that they're really helping, I think, the FSD team to develop things and, and improve things. Yeah, I did think that was
1: so cool that they're, you know, clearly watching these videos or at least his that closely to see, you know, what the issue is and like, that's a, it, that particular case is such a like complicated one that a lot of humans have trouble with. Honestly, like a lot of people will just do what his version does a lot of times, yeah. and just you know, turn right. And then, you know, like do a U-turn. That's, that's, not that's a bad what outcome, I would do. So the fact I that,
0: see it. And I get, yeah. I see it. I'm like freaked out. I would be like, I'm just going right. I'm not making, trying to make this left with that traffic. You know, it's like highway traffic yeah. going both ways. It's not like a 30 mile an hour. Like I have a road like that near me. That's like 30 miles an hour, but that's like 50, 60 miles an hour. Lots of cars going both ways. And, too lane, you know and i would always just make a right for me but i guess people in florida they're used to that type of uh turns into highways and stuff I, I think in certain parts of the country and i i would just make a right but yeah what were you saying matt sorry
1: no basically the same thing that you know like if it's wide open then i'll sure i'll, I'll do that or whatever but it's it's like so that's the like one that just stresses you out as a, as a driver so if yeah can get to the point where i can handle that um you know that's that's just I, I'm so curious to see that the first video that Chuck puts out on that because is it gonna actually be as good as you know they're promising? Like Elon had that, that tweet a while ago, Chuck mate, and apparently Chuck thought that was actually in relation to him. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, we, clearly we've got all these, uh, you know, these, these kind of further commentary since then. So like I'm just I'm very curious to see that they've dedicated so much time on solving that problem. Let's see like does it you know it's 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 kind of like put up or shut up like if if it can actually handle that well like it's going to be like i think such a good omen for um fsc really progressing pretty quickly so um yeah. I, i'm i'm very curious to see how it does
0: yeah me too yeah, so we'll find out this week. I think most people are going to start getting it very soon, um, and I'll certainly tweet it out once I get it. How I what I think about it, my impression. And I'm sure you will probably Matt too. So we'll get yeah. a lot of people giving their their tweet impressions, and we we'll get a lot of videos of it. And it'll be I love watching these new update videos. And a few of them, it's like you know, it's it's, it's for me, it's entertaining. It's it's my new form of entertainment versus Game of Thrones or other things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Um, Tesla earnings tomorrow, Wednesday. Wow. It's like, you know, I don't think there's like, I don't think anyone's expecting any big, you know, anything super positive from this earnings report. Right. I mean, everyone sort of thinks that, you know, uh, we all know, like this is sort of a Debbie downer of an earnings report from the China shutdown. Let's just get it over with and move on, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And that to me, like smells like a possible opportunity with the market, you know, like who's, Who's going to buy into this earnings report for a short-term pop in the stock price, right? Normally, every earnings report, there's some amount of people, you know, some amount of day traders or, you know, uh, balancing each other out, shorting the stock or buying the stock going into earnings report. But I I don't know if there's, I think there might be an imbalance here in terms of people expecting the stock not to do anything versus people expecting it to even go down. What do you think, man?
1: Yeah. It's funny you say that because it, it used to be the case like a year ago that you would, it was like every earnings report, you'd have this like steady rise into earnings and then earnings would blow away expectations. But because all these day traders or, you know, like short term holders had, um, you know, bought kind of ahead of the earnings announcement that they would just sell sell the news. So um, you ended up kind of getting not an any sort of pop on the earnings, but you did have like a kind of a steady buildup leading into earnings that was more or less hold. Um, so this time you definitely don't have that. Like you, since the last earnings report, which was like a true absolute blowout, uh, the stock's actually down. I don't know the exact numbers, like 30%, 35%, something like that. Um, yeah. So like the, the fact that we're still down so much after that, and, and there clearly has not been, um, you know, a, a huge amount of, of institutional buying or like even short-term kind of, uh, short-term buying from hedge funds that, that make the, these kinds of plays. Uh, that does seem to set the stage where, if there was a, a big beat, which I'm I'm not saying I expect, but if there was a big beat, you could see that actually uh, kind of reflecting in the share price and staying. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm optimistic. Um, you know, but me too. I'm kind of I'm going to stick to my my earnings numbers. Um, but the one person who was a little bit bullish, which surprised me a bit, was uh, Troy Test like. He has not um, published his numbers numbers for his non-Patreon like followers yet, so those will come out at 4 Eastern today, so I'm not going to go into too much detail there, but I did have some some direct messages with him and kind of pushed back on some things, and he had really solid answers for uh, why he's more optimistic than, I would say, even most of the, the Tesla bulls out there, so... Uh, another good reason to be a Patreon supporter um, of Troy's if, mm-hmm. if you're not already. But uh, if you are not, uh, definitely check out his uh, his post at 4 o'clock Eastern today.
0: Yeah, yeah, who knows? I mean, he's been great with the delivery estimates. If he can carry that accuracy over to, like, gross margins and, and earnings per share estimates, that'd be incredible. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> it, you know, it's funny. It could be the emergence of, like, the an- – the, the best analysts Wall Street has ever seen for the best stock we've ever seen here with Troy, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, you know, the, coming from the retail side of things, coming from the retail side of things, yeah. the institutional side, you know,
1: it, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting. Cause he like, he's so uh, focused on the details. Like he gets all this DMV data and it's like specifying things out by trim and all that stuff. And um, in my mind, like that's, you can kind of get lost in the weeds cause it's very hard to verify that information, but he's so meticulous about, you know, all this data that he's paying money for to get. So like your average person doesn't have access to this. And even if they did, they wouldn't spend the time to comb through it like he's doing. So um, I do think he's he's providing something really unique. And I think his insights primarily probably on like the, the gross margin and and ASP side. Um, So, but like, that's great. The fact that he's already doing all this for like, you know, uh, the, the data that he's doing just to get production and deliveries as accurate as, as he can. Um, why not just see, okay, how is mix shifting over time and how are ASPs shifting over time? Um, and then try to just plug that into a yeah. model to me. It makes sense. And, uh,
0: we'll see if his methodology holds. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll have the earnings report tomorrow and lots of YouTubers going live with all kinds of uh, live streams and I think there's like Twitter spaces scheduled to be live. I mean, what doesn't it feel like the space is getting crowded of uh, YouTubers <laughs> and Twitter spaces stuff like when you add in the, all the there's like a new generation of Twitter spaces people tr- you know trying to talk about Tesla, Elon, Twitter stuff every day on uh, Twitter, I've noticed, and I've tuned into a couple of them and but there's just like a whole new generation. It's just like, when is it going to be saturated fully or is it already saturated? <laughs> or is it going to continue to get more saturated? What do you think, man? Yeah,
1: I, I don't know. So it's funny you say that. Cause I was actually, I was, uh, I don't know if you follow that Twitter handle, unusual whales. They post some random kind of content on stock trading and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Not really. I've seen them reach at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they invited me onto like, be a guest host for the Tesla earnings per share thing. And I was invited on a, yeah. another spaces thing on top of that. And then you and I were talking about maybe doing something with a, a broader set of people at one point. And it's like, yeah, you're right. There there are just a lot of folks on there. But for me personally, actually, my, um, my sister-in-law is getting married this week. So I'm going to be at the rehearsal uh, dinner tomorrow when earnings comes out. So I'm going to be Trying as hard as I can to be present where I'm supposed to be and not just checking my phone and be like what's going on with Tesla yeah. earnings. So, this is, but this is the first yeah. time since like probably 2017 that I've ever missed a live earnings uh, report. So, um, yeah, I'll have to catch it up on on, on rewind later. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. It, it is it, it's like you don't know who to watch because there's so much stuff. But you know, I tend to just. Yeah read the report myself and I'm usually just tweeting stuff live that I find it and yeah it's hard to to follow
0: along with with them but I don't know what do you think yeah, do, you, do personally, you think there's
1: a better way to handle it going forward
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know there i feel like there should be it's just going to be too fragmented otherwise with different like tribes of tesla fanatics i feel like in um <laughs> in the future or maybe but i i missed the day i have personal stuff going on tomorrow too it's my middle son's birthday and i can you know and I, you know, frankly, it's not really my role. I don't feel like to be part of that that stuff necessarily. I think after last earnings, I did do a Twitter Spaces, but I saw no one was doing Twitter Spaces. I was like, oh, there's someone should be talking about things after the earnings report. So I set up a Twitter Spaces on the fly and just had a. But it looks like there's going to be lots of stuff like that now. And uh, I miss the times of like Dave Lee and Rob Maurer just doing their live stream. I feel like that was really good. Like Dave would just like on the fly, like go through their. You know the uh, on his youtube live stream like the earnings report you know and highlight the different you know things that he thought were important talk through it and he was very good at that rob similar would be pretty good really good at like going you know and i maybe i'm just old school and there's just a new generation <laughs> i have to uh get ready for but uh you know I you know there's such, such well, a thing as information overload, but also you have to, you have, you have to think about the noise versus signal of the information you're taking in. And I feel like Dave and Rob are very high signal versus noise. I'm not sure about the rest, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, well, it, it, I, I kind
0: of view it as, uh, you know, people, it's just a
1: marketplace of, of ideas. And so like, I, am sure Dave and, and Rob still do their thing so you can always tune into them and, um, you know, they, yeah, no, that's true. You, Dave there's, there's I don't think he's been or... doing it as
0: much recently but yeah I think oh, okay. rob, he's on vacation too I think but maybe I'll do it tomorrow I'm not sure but um yeah rob I think he'll probably i would think he's he'd do it again tomorrow so yeah i'll I'll tune into those or watch them later because they're recorded you know at night or whatever yeah what were you saying Matt there's a marketplace of ideas is a good way to think about it yeah it's just like a yeah. lot of people put their ideas well
1: and we were toying around with the idea of doing like a like a super live stream with like a bunch of the youtubers all put together it, 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 Farzad's on yeah. here so I know that was something we talked about with, with him also uh do you yeah. think that that is a potentially a better way to do it where you can let some people kind of talk while other kind of finance nerds like myself dig in and pull out little bits of information to, to talk about
0: yeah I mean I think that could be helpful I mean I think so I think you'll have lots of, I mean but who decides how many people should it be should it be 10 people or should it be three people or six people or 20 people I don't know like you could have a huge list, you know. Twenty is probably um, too I guess, much. Yeah, 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 exactly. There's a line there, you know. I think ten is too much. I think, I think five is probably too much, you know. I think you know uh, four, three or four is probably enough. Um, maybe six, five or six, maybe I don't know. But I feel like once you get past like five or six, then there's always like a couple people who like hardly ever talk the whole time, and you're like, you know, it's just. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, anyway, let's not talk about the, we're talking about the, <laughs> we went on this tangent way too long. I'm happy there's a ton of information, <laughs> a ton of exposure to Tesla these days versus the olden days when it was impossible to find anything even on Twitter with a Tesla ticker, you know, five or six years ago. So uh, just crazy how much it's grown in, in such a short time and will continue to grow. It's this trajectory of Tesla, you know, in the news and exposure is going to continue to grow. So... Moving on to some of the other stocks, um, Rocket Lab uh, has a new responsive launch service. Uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier. Do you want to explain a little bit, Matt, about what that is? This new yes. announcement they put out? They, they announced this back
1: in late June. So they're calling it their responsive launch service. Um, and it's it's funny because like reading through their uh, report on it, um, it's... It's actually, not, it's like a bunch of different things I'll, I'll put together. So um, they, they talk about having responsive rockets, responsive launch sites, responsive satellites, and responsive personnel. And so really really, what they're trying to do is to make these small satellite uh, operators um, make the kind of whole launch process as uh, easy as possible for them. Uh, so we, we, we already know that they've got this kind of responsive rockets thing where they've got this kick stage that can do... Um, very unique orbits um and for very small uh satellites so you can have like a, a very customized orbit that's just for your small satellite where it, even putting it on like a falcon 9 is probably going to be cost prohibitive um just because there's not enough payload if, if, if you've got like a, a very unique orbit um so that's you know kind of one part of it that they're they're uh, putting into this, uh, responsive launch service, but then they're, they're also trying to be more responsive on their launch sites. And the thing that I thought was most interesting about this was, um, they have this new goal and I'm kind of confused about how they'll actually be able to uh, achieve this. Uh, but they have this goal where they want to be able to launch your satellite into orbit, um, within 24 hours of the satellite arriving at the launch facility. So if you are just a small, you know, satellite manufacturer or operator, whatever you finally get your satellite ready you get it to new zealand or their launch facility in virginia uh within a day they can uh have it ready to go which is i mean that's a crazy turnaround time um and it to the extent that they can actually um increase the cadence as a result of this really rapid turnaround time um to me that's that's probably the most encouraging part of this whole uh announcement that they've had because that could really indicate that they can um get through a lot more launches than they have been able to handle historically, which would enable them to kind of get through this half billion dollar um, projects uh, uh, backlog that that's currently sitting on the books. Um, so if there's a way that they can you know get through that more quickly and and just be able to uh, launch with with greater cadence and frankly provide better uh, customer service to these to these small providers, uh, to me they're they're trying to really carve their own niche within the space industry uh and and really be like this like turnkey solution for uh for these small set operators um so that was interesting and the last thing was on like the the personnel side so they're gonna have like a 24-hour call desk essentially where they're they're allowed to or not where they're allowed uh where where they're you know they can handle customer questions uh like all the time and and just uh really be this this kind of white glove turnkey service for for these uh, providers so to me, yeah, they're, they're definitely uh, trying to kind of carve their own uh, niche within the industry. And uh, I think it's, it's a good thing. And and we'll see kind of uh, if this gets reflected in their, their financials over time.
0: Yeah. I mean, Rocket Lab is evolving, you know, it's growing and they're adding new services or they're trying to make it easier to obtain and work with new clients. It sounds like with this and, I think they're be trying to become, show that they're more of a, not only customer friendly, but more of a vertically integrated space services company. Um, and that's kind of the future we see for them. And that, that's the direction it seems like Peter Beck is trying to take them. Uh, and it's exciting to play out before our eyes. I mean, a lot of people ask about Rocket Lab, um, about like their model or when do we see them profitable? And to me, it's not so much about, like, what quarter are they going to be profit? What's their accounting metrics next quarter? You know, as long as their costs are under control and they're not, like, going to run out of cash for a while, you know, which I don't think they probably ever will. They probably don't need to raise capital. They've made strategic – I mean, the opposite. They've actually been making strategic acquisitions using capital that they raised from the SPAC. Um, but I think it's just going to take time for that story of Rocket Lab to play out. Similar to, like, invested in Tesla in a way back in – 2011 or 12 when it was like they just had the roadster and they're losing money and like it's a story stock at that time like you got to believe the story of tesla building the model s efficiently and then selling it and you gotta you know every step of the way there's a little piece of the story unfolding you got to just like kind of believe in that story and you know there's a in in many you know parallel universes maybe tesla would not have worked out you know maybe elon musk wouldn't yeah. have been as brilliant or done all the things he did you know but if you do get the story right on something that's a one billion market cap company or two billion market cap company, and then it works out and it becomes a trillion dollar market cap company like Tesla, then you know what—you just made the investment of a lifetime. You know, but there's a good <laughs> chance it doesn't work out, right? So yeah. yep. um, you just have to be ready and be, play the long game on this stuff and study it carefully. And the and the, the founder is very important to study, and you know, every thing, every step they do along the way is very important. The accounting metrics that'll all take time to I think develop as the company matures till you can kind of see if the the earnings per share or the you know the profit margins and all that kind of like take shape like now we see with Tesla it just takes time for that to become part of the story but right now it's kind of a you got to come up with the foundational like principles of why you're investing that stock it's almost like a venture capital investment in a lot of ways you know versus investing in a public stock and speaking of like billion dollar companies lemonade insurance right one billion market cap company and sure tech. We talk about it a lot. They have, I mean, paper bag investor. If you guys don't follow him, he's a great investor. He, he tweets a lot of lemonade stuff and he's been bringing things to light that other folks have brought to light about lemonade's visibility among Google trends and the app store and Tesla. And it's definitely it seems moment- like momentum's picking up for lemonade insurance. I mean, this is very positive news in my mind. It's a, it's a, it's a Huge leading indicator in my mind. These Google yeah. trends and, and the App Store rankings. Uh, so I think it's like it, number like sixty five in the App Store or something. It's pretty high. And it, it, it had been like one hundred and fifty
1: or something like that.
0: Yeah, it was it was yeah. a huge jump up. Um, and frankly, them even being in the top
1: hundred or even five hundred was a surprise to me. I like I did not think it would be you know anywhere near that that popular of an app. So that was yeah, uh, yeah that that was really surprising to me in, in a good way honestly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited to see how that story continues to play out. You know, that's another thing that's sort of like a venture capital investment right now. Like, yeah, they're not making money now and it might be a while, but as long as their costs are somewhat under control and their story of their technology, their product and service is playing out um, in the industry they're in, then it could be a huge winner in the future. So yeah, yeah. exciting.
1: And, and, and with with both of those names, like, like as much as... Um, you know, the, the story stock definitely takes time to, to pan out. I being, you know, the the weird kind of like accounting finance nerd that I am love to like dive in and be like, OK, well, what what, what can we learn about their positioning from the information that's available within their financial statements? And the thing that that I find interesting with, with both of those two is that all the the stuff that they kind of get crap for from the analyst community, um, like on, on Lemonade, for example, it's their um, it's their loss ratio is, is too high. Uh, and, and with Rocket Lab, it's, it's mostly that their, um, their, their revenue is just too small. Uh, but the things that I'm thinking of are, okay, well, you know, Rocket Lab's got a backlog that's like almost 10 times higher than their revenue. Um, and so, like, let's not focus on operating expenses so much as how uh, efficient they are. And so they've already got positive gross margins, which is like kind of incredible in my mind. And their operating expenses are kind of growing linearly. So to me, it's like very reminiscent to what Tesla was doing back in the day. And then with Lemonade, it's like the loss ratio is gonna fluctuate quarter to quarter over time. They definitely need to figure that out in the long run. But the thing that everybody seems to be missing, or at least not emphasizing, is the growth of enforced premium, uh, and especially breaking that down by enforced premium per customer and then customer growth rate um because if you extrapolate those forward based on you know the the product services that they're they're gonna offer um it's like the, the math gets kind of nutty because you're just like compounding exponential growth and enforced premium per customer by exponential growth and customers and like very quickly it can get to you know, like massive massive growth um so it, th- those are two where i just i I, I like digging into the financials, and I just feel that the uh, set general sentiment around there is sort of focused on the wrong metrics. Uh, so that kind of gives me some comfort that um, you know we're, we're looking at things differently, and uh, we'll see if we're right in in, in the end. But uh, right now, the the market definitely is is kind of punishing those stocks.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I like our odds in the long run. It's just a matter of time, and uh, yeah, it's it's it, to me. We'll find out in due time by 2025, you know, we'll have a clear understanding of where Rocket Lab and Lemonade are going, I think. So um, could take a couple of years to play out, but Lemonade hopefully sooner in the next few quarters with car insurance. I haven't heard any news about the Metro Mile acquisition being completed yet. That was, I think they mentioned in a previous earnings call or something, they hoped it would be like June or something, but now we're in July and should be any day. Now you'd think the Metro Mile acquisition with Lemonade is kind of completed. So. Um, We'll find out more, maybe on their earnings yeah. call
1: probably in a few weeks. Listen to any of their—they um, have this podcast, which is um, not that interesting, to be honest with you. It's just like really, really nerdy stuff on on AI, but it's, it's mostly about the ethics of AI. But um, Daniel Schreiber mm-hmm. was on there, I think it was a week or maybe two weeks ago, uh, and he he made some comment on talking about Metro Mile, and he's like a company that we're you know very close to, you know, acquiring or something like that. So, hmm. uh, that was the last I heard on it, it uh, was on that podcast. And so, uh, hopefully, um, I, I would okay. think it's this month, honestly. Uh, but it, you know, it could leak into
0: August even we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that covers everything we had on our outline. Uh, why don't we go into Q and A for those that are, um, you know, uh, new to this and everything we record this on youtube live and our twitter spaces at the same time and we're live on both right now but as soon as we're done it's recorded and available on both to watch if you want to watch from the beginning if you caught it in the midstream so all right let's go to uh, some questions alec if you're there he'll post some questions from breakfast pizza how much do you believe the euro dollar influences the u.s stock market um yeah, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that, Matt? I mean, I think there has been a big movement for a parity between the euro and the dollar, but that's something different from the euro dollar, I believe. I yeah, I'm my not, uh terms of I'm the euro not dollar. But
1: sure exactly what that question is getting at, honestly. So rather than uh maybe you know, spitballing something that I, I think might might be impacting, i will just uh maybe pass on that question. Uh since so yeah. so I don't have anything Euro bad, dollars
0: say. Euro dollars or US dollars held in the time to held in time deposit accounts and bank accounts outside the united states uh, outside the united states which are thus are not subject to legal and jurisdiction of the u.s federal yeah euro dollars is like a specific product or cur- it's like i don't even know if it's a currency i don't know what it is exactly but it's not the combination of the euro and the dollar something different but if you're talking about like the i think maybe this question is getting at like the um parity between the euro and the dollar like how the euro used to be like a dollar it used to cost a dollar 10 or a dollar 15 for as long as i can remember a dollar 20 for like the last few years for for one euro and now it's suddenly like a dollar like a euro costs like a dollar or a dollar and a penny or something it's like close to one for one now so apparently you know this is hurting our 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 markets i think the that's what it's you know it, to some degree in in relative value compared to like European stocks, for example, because uh, our stocks are getting more expensive in relation to the euro, the stocks denominated in euros, I believe is the the thesis here. So um, yeah, I mean, it does influence the market to some degree, um, I guess, but I'm not a real currency expert. um, So we'll we'll see how it plays out. um, And we'll just move to the next question, I guess. Yeah. From Chelan Tusk on YouTube, can Tesla reach twelve hundred dollars by end of year with one point four million deliveries? I think I think it could reach twelve hundred dollars by end of year if the macro market cooperates. Um, you know, if the macro market stays where it is now and just kind of s- trades sideways. Um, you know, if the if the Nasdaq and ARKK and stuff are all trading kind of just sideways for the rest of the year, then. For Tesla to get twelve hundred dollars might be a little tough, um, but it's possible. But I just think that would be tough. But uh, if the if the macro markets rebound, you know, somewhat, um, I think it's it's very achievable. I I would guess. I don't know what the probabilities are on all that, but it seems like the market probably. If you pulled up the probability lab for Tesla or the <laughs> Nasdaq, you could probably see it. And and my guess is they're probably accurately for what I think it is predicting it. Any thoughts about you? Any thoughts you have, Matt?
1: Yeah. I mean, macro would, would certainly help, but I, I do think, um, this is something we actually wrote a little bit about in our, uh, investor letter for Q2. Um, as macro has fallen, Tesla has fallen by, you know, roughly double, uh, just because it's got this beta. So it, it's actually been kind of, um, more heavily punished than, than your average, you know, S and P 500 stock. Meanwhile, they've been outperforming, um, you know, at least certainly in Q1, we'll see, we'll see, you know, how good or bad Q2 is. Uh, but my sense is Q3 is going to be kind of a barn burner, a lot better than analysts are expecting. So it's possible that that you could have the scenario where their earnings are just so good. And, and you know, investors say, hey, you know, we're hungry for growth, you know, given the fact that, like, you know, treasuries kind of, you know, are not super attractive right now. uh Corporate bonds are not super attractive right now. Um like you're losing money on any any like bonds or treasuries because inflation's higher than the yield on those. Uh, so in real yeah. terms, you're actually losing money. And then like the stocks, like what stocks are attractive right now? Well, the market's kind of saying all stocks are unattractive except for maybe utilities. Like utility stocks, which is something I've said before, are holding up more than <laughs> well more than actually makes sense. A lot of them have PEs of like 25 to 30. Some are even higher than 30. Uh, and you know, like meanwhile, Tesla's kind of at like what was it like 48 or 50 or something like that recently um yeah. so if they if they just grow earnings significantly more than people are expecting and, and and the market starts giving credibility to to both their revenue growth and their their earnings growth um i, I think there, there there could just be a, a fundamental push that's disjointed from macro deterioration um now whether it will reach 1200 um, i think it's possible but uh not investment advice here and it really i think ultimately depends on on kind of how they perform with you know with fundamental performance
0: yeah so just to give you some reference some numbers okay um the market thinks uh based on the probability lab for options that expire on january 20th of 2023 the s p 500 you know um right now is around 3900 i think is that about right matt yeah i think it's thirty nine hundred. And or that's SPY, the ETF is 390. So that's the, the probability lab says that there's a 90% chance that it's going to be below 470. So it would have to get 90%. Is The reason I'm saying 90% is because that's what Tesla's probability is to get to 1200 is 90% unlikely that it's going to get to 1200 come January 2023. And so if you look at the 90 percentile um, for the SP 500, that number is. 470 and then for arkk that number is 70 um so the 90 percentile confidence of the pro- options market makers right now or not the market makers just the options market uh is price does that make sense it's some interesting data to kind of play with in your head yeah. I it's like all right the market thinks the chances of tesla getting to 1200 they think the chances of that is the same chances of arc getting to 70 or the same chances of the s&p 500 getting to 4,700 by the end of the year, you know, that, that's what the market is pricing is the chances of Tesla getting to 1200. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's pretty interesting. So I would have thought that arc would be a little bit higher than that. Honestly. I mean, arc only getting to, well, what are they trading at right now? Like 40, 43, 43 something like that? 46, 45, 45. Oh, 46. Yeah. yeah 45. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's like, um, I guess that makes sense because it, it shouldn't have to go up by quite the same uh percent as Tesla to to get to that same 90% confidence interval. So yeah, that's an interesting yeah. data point. And yeah, one of the great things about interactive brokers is you can like go around and, and play with those scenarios. And you know, if you like some of those um trade-offs, if you want to like, you know, say, Oh, I wanna, you know, go long Tesla, but I I don't want to be hedged macro, you can, you know, sell some stuff against Uh, You know, SPY getting to that same 90% confidence interval, and then you've essentially got like a spread between um, macro and and your long position. So uh, there's lots of very interesting things you can do uh, on interactive brokers. And it makes me very frustrated every time I use my regular broker. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, but we'll convert your all your accounts to interactive brokers one day, Matt. One day you'll you did. All over. You, gosh, the
1: first six months I was like, Emmett, this software sucks. Like, it's so painful <laughs> to like, do anything." And now I'm just like, "Oh, it's awesome. I can't, I can't live without it." <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a learning curve, yeah. but once you get used, it is to a learning it, it's just, curve. It's great. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right, let's go to the next question here from Farzad. How you doing, Farzad? I had a great time on your channel Friday. Uh, how much deferred revenue is out there that Tesla can recognize in Q2 to soften the impact? Oh, there's a good Matt question here, This has come up a few times, I think, in the past.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it has. So um, there, there are two different buckets of, of deferred revenue on the balance sheet. There's short term, which just means that it's recognizable in the next 12 months. And then there's long term, which means it's more than 12 months. Um, the deferred, the total amount of deferred revenue, I'm, I'm probably going to not get it exactly right, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like $1.8 billion, um, both short-term and long-term, but that also includes non-FSD related uh, deferred revenue. So uh, for example, like if you got um, a a free year of... um, premium connectivity, that's a thats a deferred revenue source that, that Tesla essentially owes you that those future periods of, of you know, connectivity. And and there's like supercharging allowances that fall into that category. And, and there's a bunch of other um, kind of small pieces of it. But my sense is that more than, probably a lot more than 50% of it is is uh, full self-driving related. So I would imagine that the actual number, I, I don't have my model pulled up at the moment, but it's, it's probably like 1.2 billion or so of the roughly 1.8. And again, apologies, I, I might be off of a few hundred million here or there on, on the total amount because uh, it does change every quarter. Um, so but my sense is that the short term amount is uh, probably mostly going to be like US and Canadian based full self-driving sales that will be recognized, you know, this year sometime. Uh, or by Q1 of next year at the latest based on, on the way that it's classified on, on their financials. Um, so my, my quick math for, uh, Q1, which we spoke of, or Q2, which we spoke about a couple weeks ago is if there's, uh, say a hundred million dollars or sorry, uh, uh 1,000, uh, hundreds, I can't even speak, hundred thousand, uh, FSD beta testers that they in, that are in the U S uh, right now that they say, all right, we're, we've, Delivered the functionality, so we're going to recognize that revenue. Uh, then you have to say, all right, well, how, what's the deferred revenue balance on each one of those? And, and they've they've paid different amounts, from like seven thousand dollars back in the day to twelve thousand for the newest uh, people. And then some of them are subscribers as well, so you got to like back out that portion of it. Uh, but putting all that math together, I was assuming an average deferred revenue balance of about thirty four hundred dollars. I think it was, or maybe it was. And now I'm getting confused. It was probably just over $4,000. Um, and then at 100,000 uh, FSD beta testers, that gets to a little over $400 million of FSD deferred revenue recognition in Q2. Um, so that was at a high level, the math that I was doing. There was a little bit of confusion, though. Of you know, Elon said they were at 100,000 beta testers. And then he said 100,000 more were being introduced. So mm-hmm. if we're actually yeah, at 200,000... Uh, then the the number could actually be substantially higher than that. Um, but my it, it could be anywhere in like the I, I'd be surprised if it was more than like 600 million that could get recognized this quarter. Um, but I think the more important thing is that the as more and more beta testers are out there, then on new sales, uh, a higher portion of those will be recognizable going forward as well. So it does help ongoing margins. And that's the, the way more important thing than what amount of the deferred balance gets recognized in Q2. All
0: right. Good answer. Next question for from Alec put up there is from uh, 23andMe. Is it undervalued? From Adam Berrios on YouTube. I haven't studied 23andMe, the stock or the business. Uh, I've used the service myself. Um, you know, a long time ago, and it was sort of like a one-time thing as a consumer. It's not like I'm a subscription holder or anything like that. And But maybe the medical industry can, maybe they can have like substantial reoccurring revenue from the medical industry somehow. I'm not sure. So I don't really understand the entire business case for 23andMe, and um, to be honest. Uh, the first thing I would look at is like the market cap, um, which I'll pull up right now. But um, matt do you have any thoughts on it why I should have pulled this up? Yeah,
1: I didn't even know it was a public company honestly. I, so my sense is that the, the genomic space in particular has been hit very, very hard uh, in this yeah. in this market environment. Um, and I do think it's one of those areas that is actually like innovative and is going to provide economic value going forward. Um, but it's it's such a crap because it's like a total venture capital kind of spot right now. If, if I were yeah. to be like bullish on this space, what I might consider is just, you know, investing in ARKG because A-R-K-G, th- th- yeah. that's essentially like a venture capital fund, right? They're just investing in, I don't know, 20, 30, however many different genomics companies. And some of those are going to be like ten hundred Xers and a lot of them are probably going to fail. Um, and yeah. I don't have the time or the knowledge to know which is which. So that's,
0: yeah, that's my sense. Yeah, it's one point two billion market cap. Uh it looks like it was might maybe a SPAC earlier in the year or something that went public um at a higher uh, obviously market cap. Everything's come down to the genomics. I listened to Dave Lee's interview with the ARC investment uh genomics expert. Did you listen to that? It was like two hours long. It was like a week or two ago. And I couldn't No, I didn't I saw it. Okay. Well, I listened to it and I, you know, not, not only am I not super like passionate about learning about it, like I am about cool electric cars or rockets going to space or even like insurance, like disrupting the marketplace. You know, I am more curious about than like the business of genomics, like, because like, I don't know, I just, I have a hard time comprehending how one company is going to become like a huge story and be a hundred times more valuable than it is now. You know, like, you know, maybe one of these companies comes up with some these small companies comes up with big and then Pfizer or Abbott Labs buys them out or something. I'm not sure, but, um, I just, I don't fully understand. Like I listened to the whole thing and I just couldn't get excited about the invest, investing in a genomic company, you know, aspect. It just seems there's, there's a lot in my view, a lot priced into these genomic stocks. Like eventually they're going to maybe be revolutionary, but, You know, until I have friends and family benefiting from the genomics things day and you know regularly from you know special things they're doing instead of like anecdotal stories I hear about once in a blue moon, then it's hard for me to really get super excited about it. I just have to. I'm. It's too. I can put my hands on a Tesla car. I can understand how a rocket ship goes to space or the space industry might work or whatever. And I can. I know insurance. I've used insurance. I've never used. A genomics thing. I'm not in that industry. If I worked in the industry, maybe I'd like have real insight and like be like, Oh, this company is the right one or whatever. So I just, I don't know. I've, I've always been kind of skeptical and the industry sounds and you know, a lot of smart people talk about it being like the next big thing or, but that's been happening for many years and you know, I hope I hope it does do amazing things in the medical industry, or that you know, for our health, and and hopefully it does cure a lot of diseases and such, and and maybe there's some some cases of that already in a couple things, and that's great. Um, so, so yeah, but yeah. I, it's hard for me to invest in in the stocks. I, I do have a little
1: tiny bit of um, medical background, just on uh, when I was doing investment banking, I was in the our med tech division at one point, which was, it was primarily like medical devices for orthopedic applications, but a couple other things mm-hmm. as well. So it got mm-hmm. very like in the weeds on like the, the medical device approval process and like how many years that takes and frankly, how freaking expensive it is um, yeah. to like go through that process. And then at the end, it's just like a binary decision. Like either you're approved or you're not. And then even if you're approved, it's like, okay, well then you've gotta go and like, like find your market and like actually, you grow the business and pay for salespeople and all that. There's like a huge amount of ingrained kind of bureaucracy that makes it very difficult to um, succeed in, in this space. And the whole promise of genomics is that they're going to lower the costs for it, like medical care by treating more stuff early, which is 100% the right thing to do. Um, but they're going to be fighting against like all the incumbents to, to like, imagine like, I don't know, Invitae or one of these companies ends up like with like the, the, like the right approach, um, for them to just go and be like, Oh, like, well, we can eliminate all these expensive drugs from Pfizer or whoever, because we can like find your cancer way earlier. Well, like all the lobbying, all like the ingrained, like healthcare system costs, I may be being a little cynical here, but my sense is like there's going to be so much fighting to try to like block stuff like this, um, which truly is a good and truly, at least has the potential, truly has the potential to lower costs and, and have better patient outcomes. Um, I, I just, I, I, one, it's going to take like five years plus for them to just to like have good data on, on like the efficacy of these treatments and have them like be through the approval processes and all that stuff um and, yeah. and then like two it's just I, I i just foresee a lot of fighting uh and, and jockeying and uh it'll be yeah i, I hope yeah. i'm wrong to be cynical but I, i'm not just super optimistic on the space i think for for that reason
0: yeah and i really hope i see I'm a wrong. comment from <laughs> ds yeah I hope I'm wrong. It's like a great thing for humanity if it works well. and I hear I see a comment from d s. reg on the YouTube comments that says it seems you have to understand the science to get a feel for an advantage. Yeah, that's exactly what I think we're saying. It's exactly right. We don't we're not genomic scientists, uh, gene therapy scientists or anything. Um, and the the problem is the people who are the specialists in the industry, when I do hear them talk, I don't feel like they understand the investment world or how the uh, how, how their company's revenues and gross profits are going to go through the moon. <laughs> like, I don't maybe they don't speak that language to, to me where I can be like, oh, this is a great company, you know, like maybe I just haven't heard the right person that knows both languages, the science and the investing world, you know, put it together and talk. I don't know. So um, it just and when they do, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me like the, you know, the Dave Lee chat with the. you know I like he's definitely knowledgeable in genomic space and you know all that stuff but I just couldn't make sense of what he was saying about how the companies could be worth you know five or ten times more than what you know there's a case for like why some of the companies could be like double what they are now or something I feel like that was like oh yeah that company should be worth double what it is now but I just couldn't understand where any of these companies would be like some huge outlier suddenly and be worth a lot more you know and that's what we're looking for so yeah all right. Let's do one more question. Uh, we're at the one hour mark here. So last question is from Farzad. How are you doing Farzad? All right. Is energy going to surprise folks in Q2? Are there variables out there that could dramatically influence uh, Q2? Or yeah. What do you think, Matt? Anything with the energy side of Tesla Energy? Um I personally don't think so. I mean, it could be that the, the revenue growth is is
1: a bit higher, that there was the, the Moss Landing project, a uh, pretty large stationary storage project for PG&E, which I believe was commissioned in Q2. Uh, so it's it uh, stands to reason that there's going to be a good jump uh, in, in revenues. But the thing we've seen kind of consistently on, on Tesla Energy is that the margins have been just like gross margin has always been very modestly negative or like at best close to break even. Um, So it's like, let's say they grow revenues by fifty percent or a hundred percent, but if the gross margin is still zero, then it doesn't really matter. Um, mm. So I, my my view on this, and I used to speak a lot about it on the my old YouTube channel Spark Spread, is like this energy story is is going to be like something that gets more exciting in twenty thirty and beyond. Because a large part of the the value uh, that Tesla's creating is going to come from like not selling stuff within a quarter but having access to like the cumulative fleet of all of these power walls and stationary and like you know mega packs and uh, even like the grid chart or uh, charging and uh, like home batteries that there's this pilot program they're doing right now in uh, in California where you can opt in um, to like provide emergency grid backup um for with your power walls and tesla's not taking a cut of those revenues right now and even if they did it'd be so small that it's like not even worth it um but down the road i definitely see a a future where tesla starts bundling these assets more and because they've been selling them for you know 20 years at that point then they're going to have just like this huge massive fleet of assets and so they can they can start using them more intelligently to support the grid and, and you know provide things for like reactive power what I was talking about earlier like they don't get compensated for that right now in almost all situations uh, but they can be providing services like that and go through the, the regulatory filings to actually get compensation. And once they start doing that I think you'll see the, the gross margins flip um, and you'll have this kind of recurring uh, margin source as opposed to right now where you're just basically selling hardware at break even. Um, so no, I don't expect a catalyst in Q2. Um, I it'd be great if they just surprise of like a positive two percent or something would be great. Um, but I'm not expecting that. I do think the surprise that nobody else I've heard is, is talking about is the, the lease revenue. So that would show up on or not lease revenue, but the the vehicles returning from lease. Um so if there's like a hundred million dollars of gross margin on the services line, um, which is what I'm projecting, then that'd be you know a surprise that. I was right about that. I didn't really hear anybody else talking about. So that's the one surprise I'm really banking on for Q2.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think one, two words to describe our view is cautiously optimistic on uh, Q2 or, or, you know, the the fact that uh, everyone is expecting it to be bad. We are actually, we, we feel cautiously optimistic that maybe it won't be so as bad as everyone's sort of pricing in right now. We'll see yeah it kind of i
1: mean it reminds me a lot of q2 was a q2 of 2020 where fremont was shut down um and it was like oh everybody was like oh q2 is gonna be a total disaster and then it ended up being like modestly positive earnings per share and the stock just like took off um i'm not saying i expect that to happen but um the expectations are definitely uh they remind me of that it's almost like the same situation it's another q2 it's another covid shutdown impacting deliveries. Uh, and so if they can pull another rabbit out of the hat, you know, I, I could see it being good news. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, uh, yeah, you, Matt, we'll, um, we'll be on next Tuesday again and we'll reflect on, uh, the Q2 earnings and how the stocks reacted to it and, and so forth. And, uh, great having you all for, uh, this episode number 55. We'll be back next week until then.
1: Thanks everyone.